Welcome to the Talent Exchange. Welcome to our first ever podcast. I'm Jess, Head of Marketing at Networks. We connect great talent with fantastic businesses nationwide through intuitive applicant tracking technology and supportive recruitment campaigns. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Daisy and Rhonda from Scope. Scope is a disability equality charity, and today we're going to be discussing disability diversity in the workplace. Welcome, Rhonda and Daisy. Please introduce yourselves for the listeners. Yes, yeah, so my, my name is Rhonda McPhail and I'm the Employer Engagement Specialist at Scope. Um, my, my role is really around working with um, employers and recruiters who are um, positive about inclusion. Um, and I'm also responsible for Scope's job board, which we launched at the end of last year and kind of working with employers and recruiters um, who want to promote jobs on the job board. Fantastic. Thank you for joining us, Rhonda. And Daisy, welcome. Thank you. Um, yes, yeah, so my name's Daisy Crump. Um, I work uh, as an employment advisor on the Support to Work service. So one of a few kind of different employment services that we have as part of um, Scope's kind of services for disabled people. And my role, yeah, it can be anything from kind of helping um, individuals with CVs, um, cover letters, interview prep, anything they might kind of need to make the job application process more accessible for them. Fantastic. Thank you for joining us on the Talent Exchange today. So let's get started. The last year has been challenging and eye-opening for organisations globally, and surveys have highlighted that equality, diversity and inclusion is a core focus for businesses going forward. There are a lot of ways to encourage greater diversity within your organisation and recruitment plays a big part. From your perspective, Rhonda, for employers who want to recruit more disabled candidates, what would you say are the main benefits of attracting a disabled talent? So there's a huge untapped talent pool that businesses are, are missing out on if they don't look to employ disabled people. And the statistics show that there are around 1 million disabled people with a wealth of experience, skills and talents who want to work and that who would be a real asset you know, to, to any business as well as bringing diversity and new perspectives. So, you know, when we look at talent, just an example would be um, Scope run a range of employability programs. And we have our national digital employment program, which is support to work. And on that program, we have such a wide breadth of candidates with a wealth of skills, talents, who are often really highly qualified as well, looking for all different types of roles. And they can be looking for jobs from kind of entry level, through to kind of management and also candidates that have, you know, qualifications around kind of web designers, IT infrastructure, all sorts of things. So a real mix of talent that employers are missing out on. And I think as well, you know, to add to that around the whole employment side, you know, even looking at life skills, which are also really important. Disabled people are used to facing so many barriers in everyday life. And the result, many disabled people are just really, really creative they're resilient, really adaptable and fantastic problem solvers. And again, these are all characteristics that employers value, you know, when looking for new candidates. I think it's worth mentioning as well that, you know, for some disabled people, they actually have additional skills that potentially no one else in that kind of organisation would have. So, for example, you could have an employee who is dyslexic who would potentially look at information in a different way. 
maybe come up with much more creative ways of presenting that information. You may have a candidate who is autistic, who completely thrives on having that sort of structured routine role and that maybe another employee just doesn't have that level of concentration. So, you know, the disabled people have many other additional skills that could bring a real benefit to, to organisations. I think it's really, really important, secondly, obviously, that it makes good business sense because ultimately businesses, you know, that's what they are around. And studies show that diverse organisations, they're more representative, boost morale and productivity and make really good commercial sense. So, you know, if you have disabled customers who understand disability, that then makes these employers much more representative of the customer base and actually more likely to develop more inclusive products and services and actually tap into the spending power of disabled people as well. And, you know, latest figures show that the total spending power of families with at least one disabled person is estimated at 274 billion a year. So it makes huge commercial sense to employ disabled people. And really lastly, and I think it's important to all of us really, is around just having that inclusive culture because it does boost morale and productivity for all employees, you know, not just disabled employees. An inclusive culture means kind of creating a workplace that allows everyone to play to their strengths, you know, promoting that kind of culture where employees feel that they are respected and valued and able to have kind of open conversations. And I think, you know, it is worth mentioning that, you know, many employers are actually already employing disabled people and they might not even know it and that is because, you know, as we know that not all disabilities, you know, are apparent, you know, there's hidden disabilities. So you might be employing a staff member who has mental health or diabetes and the employer may not even be aware of it. But unless you kind of create that inclusive environment and that kind of open conversations, many employees may not even choose to disclose because they're unsure how they would be treated and you're ultimately, you know, if, you, if you've invested in staff members, you want to keep them because, you know, you have invested in them and they have that knowledge and expertise. So, you know, again, that comes down to really good business sense. So, you know, when we look at all these different areas, I think it's really important also to mention the, you know, disability employment gap, because I think, you know, the more employers employ disabled people, it is all about reducing that employment gap. And what that is, the UK disability employment gap is the rate at which disabled people are employed compared to non-disabled people. And it's actually remained static um, for about a decade now with disabled people's employment kind of stuck about 30% behind. And obviously with COVID, that is obviously compounded it with more disabled people being redeployed, not being redeployed or furloughed and having some really difficult choices. Yeah, and I would just add to that, Rhonda, I mean, that's something that we're seeing all the time, kind of working with customers and, you know, that kind of disability employment gap is definitely widening, or I would say that we can probably expect it to widen because, unfortunately, a lot of customers I've been working with over the last sort of six months, we're seeing lots of redundancies, especially with the furlough schemes and things kind of coming to an end. And a lot of customers are finding that they are the only person potentially being made redundant out of their team. And it's difficult not to kind of join the dots and assume that that is happening in part because they are disabled and due to a lack of kind of understanding from their employer. So I was working with recently a customer called Lisa, who'd been in the same sort of role in a factory role for 
30 years, but kind of in various different positions within the same organization, and you know, had shown huge commitment and dedication to that organization. It was her entire career, essentially. And she had mobility problems, she had a physical disability, and she had been accommodated. But then, as we see happening sometimes with our customers who might have conditions that change, you know, her condition was worsening, and the pandemic obviously set in, and she was one of the very few people in her team who were made redundant. So yeah, you do see, you do kind of see that happening, unfortunately, at quite alarming rates, but then also kind of as a counter to that, like you were saying about how a lot of disabled people have a lot of kind of skills they're used to having to adapt, unfortunately, to society, if society won't always adapt to them. And through kind of talking to Lisa, we decided, and it was kind of her idea, really, she was sort of like, well, the one thing that I can do comfortably is drive. And I love driving. And it means I don't have to move around too much. And so we kind of started looking into that. And now she's training to be a bus driver with like a national organization who, you know, to them, it makes no difference that Lisa's disabled, it doesn't impact on her ability to do her role every day. And yeah, it's something that, again, I wouldn't necessarily have thought of, even though I could support her in making that decision, but she was just kind of used to making those adaptations. So there definitely are organizations out there who have that flexibility, but yeah, unfortunately, it feels like lots of them don't. Thank you for sharing that story, Daisy. That's very inspirational. I'm glad that Lisa has has found a a new path and a new venture. So what would you say are the main barriers disabled people can face when they are looking for work? I think a lot of recruitment processes aren't as inclusive as they could be. Traditional recruitment um, quite often focuses on CVs, interviews and a CV is great if you've got lots of work experience you know if if you are a disabled person who hasn't actually been given that employment opportunity you might not have much to put on a CV so straight away you are a little bit of of a disadvantage and you know so some employers are looking at different things around kind of work trials or something else to try or kind of more informal process of assessing suitability there are other ways of kind of you know, recruiting and these processes. I would say as well that interviews don't suit everybody. I think some people are really confident at interviews, can really kind of have the gift of the chat really and can really sell themselves, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are the best person for the job. You know, if we go back to our artistic candidate, you might find a traditional interview situation a little bit more challenging. You know, if we look at kind of around body language and eye contact and social skills may find it a little bit more difficult. But again, it doesn't mean that they're not the best person for the job. So it is kind of looking at, you know, traditional processes and having a look to see if there's different ways that employers can do things. I think it's worth mentioning as well. Make sure your website is accessible because, again, you know, most recruitment stuff is online for candidates who use assistive technologies, for example, maybe a screen reader. If they can't actually view, you know, the candidate information, then more often than not, wouldn't even begin the application process. And I think it, it does give out the kind of wrong signals really at that point. And tied in with that, you know, looking at kind of recruitment ads, candidate materials, you know, they can be full of jargon, can be really overcomplicated. And I know sometimes I've looked at a job ad and actually thought, you know, what is that job? You know, it can sound really, really complicated sometimes. So, you know, it is just keeping things simple and at a level that everyone can understand because we all benefit from, from that. I have got a customer who has autism and other disabilities and I had a story about him. I think the thing with this particular 
customer that I was working with was that he so he was experienced in tech and had loads of experience with a very well-known retailer international retailer um working in their tech team and again had worked with them for a long time I think that's another thing because disabled people I think statistically tend to stay in roles for longer and kind of you know employees can kind of benefit from that aspect as well and that was definitely the case for him he'd worked there for a long time again face redundancy during the pandemic and I think because of not being sort of neurotypical despite having all that experience because he had to go through the same interview process as everybody else it was kind of like he was not back to square one he felt like his experience didn't necessarily count for that much because he was going to be judged using the same kind of metrics, you know, an interview where he has to be chatty and come across in a particular way, which wasn't as easy for him being autistic. So that was one thing, really, I guess, you know, sometimes no matter how experienced you are as a disabled candidate, if you're being evaluated in a way that doesn't work for you, is not accessible for you, it can really kind of put you on the back foot. A number of our clients at Networks display the disability confident badges on their adverts, vacancy search pages, etc. to demonstrate their commitment and encourage a wider, more diverse pool of applicants. How do you think employers can make sure they are attracting more disabled candidates? Yeah, definitely. So one of the things that I would you know, suggest is, you know, advertise widely to reach as many applicants as possible. So obviously, you know, mainstream job boards are fantastic. But, you know, some disabled candidates may not use mainstream job boards just because they're unsure how seriously or fairly their application will, will be taken. And, and there are some other job boards, there's inclusive job boards out there. Scope, as I mentioned, we, we launched our job board last year, which is a funded job board. So it is free to employers, you know, who want to kind of promote jobs on it. So it could be an additional venue really to kind of attract other candidates. I think as well, because, you know, there are a lot of disability confident employers. It sounds really obvious, really, but but make sure that you do tell people about it. You know, you know, candidates are aware of it because, you know, I've gone on to websites before and on the kind of career pages. I haven't seen anything that states, you know, disability confident employers or that, you know, that you welcome um, applications from disabled people. So make sure it's clearly displayed and um, because it definitely would attract more disabled people. Again, it's just about having that job, job bad inclusive. So we talked a little bit about it before, but, you know, a good job description that clearly defines what the job is and what the skills are. And I guess lastly, really, is just to be sort of clear about, you know, reasonable adjustments, because obviously employers, you know, have a duty to ask all job applicants if they need a reasonable adjustment for any part of the process. So, again, you know, make sure that candidates can clearly see who they would contact to ask for a reasonable adjustment if it's required, because if, if people are kind of looking around your site or your materials to try and find that information, again, it might stop a potential candidate applying at that point. And I think, you know, an example might be that, you know, over the last year with pandemic, we've, you know, had a lot of remote interviews have been really common and there's fantastic things around that as well. But I would say for some disabled people, they, they may be slightly more difficult. So for example, if you had a disabled candidate who has a condition that makes it more difficult to hear what people are saying, a reasonable adjustment could be around making sure that there are live captions or, or even better, you know, a sign language interpreter. So it's just really kind of thinking about reasonable adjustments as well and making sure that candidates, you know, feel comfortable asking for them at that point. 
So the intention for, from some employers to employ disabled people is good. But as you say, there can be a wariness and it, it isn't really a tick box exercise. They need to be really demonstrating that commitment. What would you say to businesses that are concerned about maybe the costs or the reasonable adjustments in employing disabled people? Yeah, so I would say that definitely, you know, for some employers and businesses, there, there can be a perception that adjustments are going to be expensive. And obviously that, that would be a worry to, to a business. But, you know, what I would say is rather than making assumptions about what a disabled person might need, really rather it's about having kind of these open conversations. And for, you know, some disabled people don't require a reasonable adjustment. For others, it's actually often more about kind of flexible working, you know, things like homeworking, for example. So, so disabled people have been asking for years about homeworking, you know, as, as, as a reasonable adjustment. And, you know, many employers have said, oh, no, it's not possible. It won't work. But actually that we know through over the last year that for many of us, we have successfully been set up now to work from home. And, and I think even going forward for many employers that this might be the way forward or a more blended approach for many types of roles. So, so we know that that can work and for some disabled people they're already set up with everything they need to work comfortably from home it takes away maybe barriers to travel or accessing different venues so for some people it, it, it definitely works even for individuals that might have fluctuating conditions to be able to work from home is one way that, that it does work I think as well if, if you think about reasonable adjustments there is access to work, which is the government-backed grant scheme, which can pay for most adjustments. And that could be anything around specialist software, could be specialist equipment, it could be a BSL interpreter. There's lots of things that access to work will, will cover. And it's probably worth mentioning for any candidate that does apply for a job through the Scope Job Board, who is on our Support to Work programme, they can actually access up to 26 weeks of in-work support as well, which is a really, you know, a little bit of extra support around kind of disclosing um, any impairments or asking for reasonable adjustments or access to work applications. So do scope support organisations who want to become more inclusive but are not just sure where to start? Yes, we do. At Scope, we have a range of different programmes and resources about supporting businesses who want to become more inclusive, but maybe are not sure where to start. So we have our Get Inclusive team who can work with uh, businesses, HR departments to kind of look at improving accessibility. Some of that is around breaking down the kind of procedural and attitudinal barriers that disabled people face getting into work. And they run things like workshops, training, provide different resources we've also got a work with me forum which is a free forum um, and that is kind of a community of businesses who are committed to becoming more inclusive and employing more disabled people and we have members from organizations of all sizes sectors and experiences who really come together to share kind of good practice experiences and resources and that's a really good forum for any employer who is you know looking to become more inclusive and really get connected is a fantastic uh, resource as well. I think that that's especially kind of pertinent as well with workplaces where you might think that it would just be too difficult for a disabled person or somebody with lots of needs maybe around things like mobility to access that kind of work but generally I would say that's not 
the case and the adaptations that can be made you know they don't have to cost anything I think it's just a lot of the time having the attitude as an employer that you're always thinking about accessibility like at every stage like a customer I was working with quite recently at the beginning of the year she had finished her kind of college education as like an early years type practitioner she'd done lots of kind of you know childcare studies and then finished with the pandemic hit and she has cerebral palsy and she's a wheelchair user so I think she was very kind of concerned about finding nurseries and finding schools where there was that level of accessibility and also where she would be trusted to be safe and not have to be kind of looked at and minded while she was working with the children because obviously that's what she's trained to do and she actually had a really good experience we found she was working kind of with a chain of nurseries it's a national chain and they had kind of designed everything with accessibility in mind and they thought about how she could kind of get around like all of that was sort of already built in to the nursery but also they helped her with access to work so if there was anything they hadn't thought of you get a specialist assessor who could come and give them advice and tell them what she would need to make that workplace kind of work for her so even in circumstances where you might think oh that sounds a bit tricky it, it can be done. I think it's really refreshing to hear some of these live examples. So thank you for sharing that, Daisy. And also really uplifting to hear that despite the the pandemic and the challenges we've faced in the last 12 months, that there are organisations who are keeping this as you know the forefront of their agenda as an organization company-wide not just from the recruitment side but you know they're making reasonable adjustments across the entire business to make sure that people can feel supported and encouraged to enter the workplace despite any disabilities so we like to ask a little bonus question so just looking forward to the months ahead so what one key trend do you think is going to have an impact on talent acquisition in the next six months yeah, well, what I would say when, when we talk about equality, diversity and inclusion, and it does seem really topical at the moment. And actually, I would say that, you know, at Scope, we have had more inquiries recently from employers who are looking at becoming disability confident, you know, trying to link in with some of our support services about around how they do that. Uh, and I think that's a really positive thing, actually. And it's a really good benchmark to actually to be able to start with that and work towards that kind of inclusion throughout businesses. So, again, I think it is a really positive step forward. Just really hoping that that continues. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Talent Exchange, Rhonda and Daisy. It's been an absolute pleasure and I'm sure the listeners will agree. Thank, Thank you so much for having us, Jess. We hope you enjoyed the first episode and we look forward to sharing insights, top tips and discussions on the latest HR and recruitment trends throughout the coming weeks. For more information about Scope and how they can support you and the disability diversity in your organisation, please check out scope.org.uk where there are loads of resources like the ones that Daisy and Rhonda shared today. To find out more about networks and see what we are up to and how we are supporting over 450 clients nationwide to attract, engage, manage and onboard the top talent, head over to networksolutions.co.uk. Until next time.